Welcome back to TGC Q&A, a podcast from the Gospel Coalition, where each week you'll hear conversations between members of our council and friends who provide their unique perspective on your most pressing spiritual questions. On today's episode, Paul Tripp and J.D. Greer discuss the question, what are the biggest issues the church will face in this decade? Let's listen in. I think that the number one issue is identity. I think the further we get away from a biblical worldview, the further we get away from these wonderful categories that God has given us that help us make sense of who we are and who we are in relationship to one another, who we are, gender, sex. uh, And then what you have is you have this horrible loss of those categories and and then people grabbing for categories. I think it's one of the reasons why we have all the tribalism that we have now, because being part of a tribe gives me identity. Mm-hmm. This is who I am. This is what I'm about. This is the meaning of my life. And I just think we have to do better at talking about that issue in the way that really speaks to the lostness of, of people. I think we tend to talk about that, those issues in a way that's kind of defensive and a bit judgmental rather than realizing the loss of that is a terrifying thing. Mm-hmm. And we can deal with those issues with a combination of clarity and grace, and I think it's just very, very important. I think we're going to see that in families, younger children, uh, I think we just exploded things that are fundamental for understanding life, and the church better be ready to deal with that. Well, let me just ask you to follow up with that. How would you, Paul, how would you tell pastors to prepare for that? I mean, what do they do differently? Uh, I think we got to quit assuming that people come into our churches with that in place. I think hmm. you go back 50 years, you could make that assumption. Yeah. People sort of knew who they were. They knew where they fit in God's economy. People just don't anymore. Right. And there's a way in which, uh, say you're preaching through a passage of Scripture, you, you have to have that in your background, that that passage may assume things that right. you can't assume of your congregation. You have to fill things in in order to make this particular moment in preaching make sense because of what the people you're preaching to have brought into the room. Yeah, I think about it like real practically, like when it comes to the question of same-sex attraction or homosexuality. I feel like I haven't been in ministry that long, but even 20 years ago when I started, it almost kind of operated on a don't ask, don't tell. Like if I don't bring it up, we can just sort of keep that as the thing you know, in the background. Now, when we, especially if it's unchurched people or even de-churched people, that's like the first thing on their their minds is because they've, you know, they have a, a narrative and that narrative says that there are some people who love people and affirm them and don't judge them and those are not the Christians and you're a Christian therefore this is probably how you feel about this and I have to meet that head on because that kind of backstory of how Christians arrive at their convictions on morality and I have to start telling a better story so I feel like it comes up a lot now because I'm trying to set it in the in the right context. Well I think that's absolutely right I think the way I crassly say it is people come in with sort of a media view of Christianity, which tends to be pretty negative Mm -hmm. and simplistic and judgmental. And we have an opportunity to not just tell a different story, but to live a different story with, with people. 
Yeah, and I think what you're going to see, um, not to rail on uh, big churches or seeker-friendly ministries, um, but there is a, a tendency to want to kind of dumb down Christianity to practical life lessons. And I think when there's a shared, when there's a shared set of convictions and a shared worldview, those sermon series are compelling to people because they're like, oh, this is helpful to me. But now I think it's like all the more it behooves pastors to, to say, we, we've got to start with, with preaching the whole counsel of God to be able to say, this is the world that God created, and this is what it means to live at peace with him and with other people. So I think it actually calls for it. I think, I think that dichotomy between deep preaching and relevant preaching is going to, you're going to see that go away, not just in the minds of theologians, but in the minds of the seekers themselves. Yeah, there's this fundamental superstructure of theology that people have to have. Uh, that's the that whole grand redemptive story that's right. that's so important. And you just can't assume that people have any of those pieces in place. In fact, they probably have none of them, and the pieces in place that they have make it almost, oh, I don't know how to say it, it's like you're speaking a different language to them. Right. Uh, if you just jump to the practical application piece of things, and they don't have any of the foundations that would make this moment in your preaching makes sense right yeah actually it reminds me of something d martin lloyd jones used to say that he, he you know he said that of course they don't know words like justification sanctification reconciliation we have to teach them what those words mean and show them how they're essential they answer life's deepest questions you know and so i, I you know i think just in the preaching well, I, I desire to, to reach unchurched people i desire to bring them in but it means that i've got to give them a new a new vocabulary and i'm confident you know what if they can learn if they can learn drink names at Starbucks, I'm yeah. confident that they can learn some of these big words and well, fit in. And the confidence we also have is that the gospel addresses all of those cries, right. all of those questions. We don't have to be afraid. There's not going to be a new question come up hmm. that That's good. That's the good gospel word. doesn't address. Yeah, and we need to we need to have uh, a joyful courage as we speak into this generation that has abandoned these fundamental categories. Yeah. Uh, Whatever that person's experiencing, it's addressed by this, this incredible gospel story. Right. Well, to build off of that, um, Paul, I would maybe take it one, go one step farther to say, okay, in how we are trying to reach and engage the culture, I think what you just said means that there's a change in how um, we have to think about, about reaching out. Um, it used to be that you know Easter services, Christmas Eve services, a series on relationships— a really good band, Disney-esque guest services, those things would bring in people who, you know, it just had, had lapsed, um, you know, lapsed out of their worldview. I think of a, um, a survey I saw recently that said that 70% of British people don't anticipate going into a church in their lifetime for any reason. It's not that they're mad at the church. It's just that they don't have a reason to. And so if we're relying on the improvement of the product that is offered up in the church, you're going to be having an awesome product for people who aren't even there. And I think it, it, it kind of returns us to some of these New Testament values of the best missionary in the kingdom of God is the ordinary church member. And I think that, um, you know, pastors realizing that these great sermon series are, I mean, they should be, you know, we should preach them, but, but being able to equip and empower people to go out and become disciple-making disciples, that's that's the future of the Great Commission. I just uh, reread a book by a guy named Rodney Stark, um, The Rise of Christianity. And one of the things he said is, yeah, he said, you know, back in the early first century, he said they didn't have anything that we had in terms of, you know, 
book deals and influencing government. He said, and by the end of the first century, you only had about 7,500 Christians. He said, but by, you know, the, the beginning of the fourth century, you've got so many Christians in the Roman Empire that Constantine has to take note. And he said, um, what they had that we didn't is an understanding that every Christian was responsible for the Great Commission and that every church was itself responsible to multiply. And he said that was a, a better strategy than the giant megaphone that's coming you know, out of a church, that the majority of people are going to have to be reached outside of the, the fellowship on the weekend. Yeah, and the way that I think about it is the way the church needs to sit and work when it's a center culture church where, it, I mean, we're long gone from that versus a fringe culture mm. church now. That's where we are. Mm -hmm. And and how do we need to change the way that we move out? Right. Uh, because we're now on the fringes. Right. And with massive misunderstanding of of who we are. But we have glorious things to say to people mm -hmm. that that address all of the lostness and angst inside of them. Brings up one final thing that came to mind when, when, when I saw that question is, all right, what are going to be the challenges? Is that I think churches are going to have to decide kind of who they really are in terms of identity themselves. I think because, I mean, you can see it in, in politics in the Western world. It's, it's identity communities. It's, hey, we've got to circle up. You know, Christians are gospel people. And that means that there's a lot of important things that have to give way to the to the most essential thing. And I think, you know, there's you're just gonna find churches that are going to group together around certain political advocacy, certain political things that again are good, but they're just not the the most essential gospel thing. And I think, you know, whether it's how we preach or who we align with or just what they hear from from our pulpits, it's gotta be what Paul said, the gospel is of first importance, which means there's a bunch of other important stuff, but right. it's not of first importance. Yeah. That's right. Thanks for listening to today's episode of TGC Q&A. To submit a question that you would like to hear answered on this podcast, send us an email at ask at tgc.org. And remember to subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks again for listening to today's episode of TGC Q&A.